Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. I am so excited today because I am speaking to a transplant physician icon. And I can brag a little bit because I knew him before he was an icon back in the early, you know, in the 80s and 90s. I mean, it's 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 truly remarkable to see his journey. Dr. Stanley Jordan is a, the director of the Division of Nephrology and medical director of the Cedars-Sinai Kidney Transplant Program. And he just received this awesome award from the International Society of Nephrology on his work in honoring research to reduce organ rejection. And that is the, the holy grail of transplantation. And you are making a, a huge impact on that. And on behalf of patients, I'm so grateful for the, your, your work and to speak to you today to learn a little bit more about it. So welcome to the show, Dr. Jordan. Well, thank you, Lori. I'm really happy to be on your show and to talk to your listeners today. And thank you for your kind words. Well, it's it is. It's like I've seen the evolution. I just had a. I was talking to um, you know one of the things that always happens to me, Doctor Jordan, and you know the early days of my story. I say I had four transplants, and they're like, "Well, how were you lucky enough to get four transplants?" And I'm like, "Well, I lived long enough to get four transplants, but in the early days." You know, not too many people wanted transplants because, you know, the medications and what you had to do to just keep the kidney was sometimes worse than dialysis or um, they didn't really understand the immune system like they do today. So not that many people wanted transplants. So there wasn't a huge list. And now it's working better and better and more and more people are seeking transplantation. But the, the, the key is, and I'd like to learn more about that, is the research that you're doing to reduce organ rejection. Well, thank you. Yes, and I, I agree with you. I, I remember when I first started at Children's Hospital in kidney transplantation in 1978, I think, um, uh, I did a fellowship in dialysis and transplantation, and I thought transplantation was not very good at that time because uh, the outcomes that one year were about 50% graft survival. And there was a lot of infectious complications, a lot of other issues that uh, we had to deal with, and I, um, you know, you just felt we, we could do better. And as you mentioned, I think over the years, there's been tremendous uh, change, uh, of course, with the advent of cyclosporin and Prograf, those made things better. But in today's world, what we're seeing, you know, jumping to, you know, the uh, beyond 2007, uh, 8, now up to 2017, we've seen the advent of newer drugs aimed at modifying not just the T cells, which for years people thought were the only mediators of graft rejection and all the drugs were aimed at them, we now know the B cells, or the cells that make antibodies, are as important, or maybe more important, in limiting the life of kidney transplants. And our research work over the last 20, 25 years has been aimed at uh, understanding this process and developing new therapies to uh, help control it. And we've been very fortunate to have 
some uh, good advances, and I think new drugs that are, are being now developed in the FDA, two new drugs are being developed as what we call, uh, what the FDA calls, I should say, uh, for breakthrough designation to get into the uh, uh, arena here to help people keep their kidneys after they're transplanted. And we, as you know, in yourself, which you uh, uh, underwent these treatments, uh, the desensitization treatments have been something that we've developed here at Cedars to help people who have made antibodies uh, during their rejection processes or in the early days when we didn't have the good drugs to get another kidney and to keep the kidney going uh, for years. So I feel like we've, we're really on the verge of a, of a lot of breakthroughs in uh, new medicines for kidney transplantation that are going to be uh, completely different than what we had before, but will complement uh, you know, those uh, agents as well. So I'm very excited about that. Well, one of the things that, you know, and you explained this to me one time, but it just hit home because, you know, my first two transplants didn't work, and, and you were you were around with those two. They just had some problems and really never had any life. My third transplant lasted 20 years, and over the course of my life, I you know, I got like 150 units of blood. And what happens is, you know, you get antibodies. You You basically, your body gets stronger and stronger to fight you know, because you've you've had so many foreign things in your body. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, do the layman's terms. But um, when I got my third transplant, I had, they told me I had 98% antibodies. And I, I ended up getting a perfect match kidney, which was just, you know, the lot, hitting the lottery. And that kidney lasted for 20 years. And then when I went to get tested again, they said I had 80% antibodies. And... I remember speaking to you and saying this is this is what we really need to focus on because those antibodies don't go away they just kind of hide is that still true today yes it is and you know you have expressed it very well I think that you know the I think one of the things that has happened uh, in transplant medicine and transplant immunology is that we've really benefited from basic immunology research and understand the, the, the leaps and bounds in understanding of how the immune system works to attack uh, foreign tissues, either you know bacteria, in our case, uh, transplant targets. And you could say, why, why would that happen? Why would you make antibodies to uh, kidneys from another human being? Shouldn't we all be the same? And the actuality is, is that we're not. And the targets that are most important for kidney transplant rejection are called HLA or human leukocyte antigen molecules that are expressed on all the cells in the body. And they're all different. Uh, and the reason they're different, and you could say, well, why would we have different? Why not the same? And these, these molecules have functions. They're not just there for, you know, typing kidneys. They're there to help what we call present antigens or present uh, foreign proteins to the immune system and they have diversified because if everybody's machinery so so to speak worked the same way there could be a virus or uh, uh, some sort of uh, bacteria that could evade uh, that process and that would mean the eradication of all humankind if everybody could not respond so I think it's a natural adaptation that our molecules these HLA molecules become different so that's fine, 
uh, uh, you know, in terms of our response to uh, bacteria and viruses. But if you get a blood transfusion or you get a kidney transplant or you have babies uh, from and are exposed to these antigens from your husband, you can get sensitized or make antibodies to these HLA that don't injure your body, but if you need a kidney transplant, will uh, help prevent it because they're so strong and intense that if we put that target in in the form of a kidney, it will be rejected immediately. So our work has been aimed at trying to use the newer immune modulatory drugs to reduce those antibodies up front and keep them from coming back after transplant. So uh, that's sort of the new frontier in my mind, or one of the new frontiers in kidney transplantation. You know, when we're talking about antibodies, we're talking about it. We live in Los Angeles, and it's the antibodies to the people in this area. Um, I may have a very different reaction if I went to another part of the country and my antibody profile might be different. Is is that correct? Did I, did I say that um, in a way that's... Um, make sense? <laughs> well, I, I, it certainly could be. That's true. I mean, it'd be more so in other countries. I think, in, for example, in Europe, where they have more of a homogeneous uh, population than we do in the United States, um, they have um, less trouble in getting matched, uh, well-matched kidneys in certain instances, whereas um, uh, here in the U.S., it's, it's more problematic. But in general, what we see is that if you uh, have an antibody profile, say if you have 80%, what we call uh, now a calculated PRA, and we do that instead of, we used to just use the test in the lab where we would look at lymphocytes from uh, a, a lot of people, maybe 100, and say, okay, you're, you make antibodies to 80 of them, you got 80% uh, panel reactive antibody, and we call it a panel of 80 cells. Now we do what we call a calculated panel reactive antibody, and the uh, UNOS, or the United Network of Organ Sharing, has HLA typed the last 56,000 donors uh, that have come through, so they know the frequency of certain HLA molecules that are coming through in the donor population. And then what we would do, we would look at your blood, for example, and say, okay, you have antibodies to uh, 40% or 50% or 100% of these people, and we can say that your likelihood of getting a kidney transplant is going to be one year, 10 years, whatever. We know that other variables are important there, of course, that, you know, we have so many people waiting for kidneys, over 100,000 at this point, that we only do about 17,000 per year, so if you're waiting for a deceased donor, it's going to take a long time. But the new allocation system has changed, which took effect in December 2014, to give people who have antibodies a, a better chance at getting a kidney because they know that in general they have to wait a long time. But we feel that's not enough, that you have to do something to eliminate that barrier as well or knock it down because if you give somebody a kidney and you've not modified that uh, antibody, uh, you're likely to get the antibody rejection, which is very devastating. So we don't want that to happen. But in general now, people who have antibodies are going to have a better shot at getting uh, a kidney transplant. And and keeping it. I mean, you know, it's, it's just so amazing because uh, I, I think 
back to the technology, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And if I hadn't been transplanted when I was six, six years ago, and uh, just to tell everybody 0.7 creatinine, I got to tell anybody who will listen what my creatinine is. <laughs> the, uh, you know, they wouldn't have had the technology. I may have gotten a kidney 15 years ago, uh, but I might have needed another one because my antibodies weren't dealt with. And then that just puts somebody back on the list, and it just makes the list grow and grow and grow. And um, these perfectly good kidneys who just maybe not had the technology or, or, or you know, we got to educate the doctors and the patients to know that there's this technology um, available to them so that they can ensure a, a long lifespan of their graph. Um, I want to talk a little bit about medication adherence. And one of the things you said to me, and I give this analogy all the time, because I still have one antibody. I might not have him. I'm going to come for my blood here in a couple of weeks to Cedar sinai But I have a, a B8 antibody that I've had from the very beginning of my transplant. And, uh, and you, you said basically it's floating around and it's not doing anything. My blood pressure is normal. I, I don't have any swelling. I have no, no protein in my urine, which is a good sign. But, uh, and I, I love this analogy is you don't want that antibody to kick up because it's friends of bad antibodies. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I love that analogy. And, and, um, and if that antibody starts to, you know, get his friends excited, um, then I go into what's called chronic rejection. And if it targets the kidney, it's very hard to stop it. Is that correct? Did I, did I give a... Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. You know, you're absolutely correct. I think this is, in my mind, the, the biggest problem in transplant medicine today, and uh, and just going back to what you said, this is you 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 phrased it so well that you know for yourself you've had poor transplants, but in the olden days, I think we have to sort of wipe that away because you know we didn't really know what was going on back then. We didn't follow antibodies. We didn't know much about antibodies except to do a cross match at the time of transplant, and we did not realize their injurious capacity that we do today, uh, where we're, we have better tools to measure these antibodies after transplant, and we can see them come up, and if we deal with them early, we can prevent this long-term injury. And that's why it's so important that anyone out there who has a kidney transplant, to make sure you follow up with your doctor, and they should ask you should ask your doctor about, should I have my antibodies checked? Because we routinely do that, because we know that if, and we see people who may have them, they don't know. But ultimately, we do know that if you have antibodies, <clears throat> especially if they're strong, and if they're directed at what we call the class two molecules of HLA, they can really damage the kidney and cause it to fail much earlier. We also know that this test, this antibody test, if you don't have antibodies, or you have very low level antibodies, is one of the best predictors for a really good long-term outcome, because this uh, better than anything else we have today, that these um, uh, absence of antibodies to the, to the transplant really give you a, a good long-term prognosis for have, keeping the kidney for years and years. So I think things have changed dramatically, as you said, uh, and we want to monitor these uh, uh, immune markers, these antibodies. Sometimes we, like in yourself, we see them that maybe they're not really injuring the kidney. It doesn't appear to be. So we don't overreact to those. But others, if there's more that pop up, then we know something's not right. We need to do a biopsy and, and consider treatments. 
so question I have, let's say you had a, a kidney transplant 12 years ago from a deceased donor. Would they even know the antibodies or the kidney or how does that work? Um, would, would that apply to, to them? Yes, this? it would. Um, it, it does because we have a record. If they're transplanted in the U.S., uh, we would have the HLA type of the donor. And we can go back, and we do that very often, and see if they have antibodies that are what we call donor-specific antibodies. Mm -hmm. If they do and they're strong, then we would really want to do something about it. And then you basically, so how it works, you do a blood test, and then you go back at the record of the donor's antibodies, and then you just put them in a little cup and see who can fight, right? Yeah, and then that's... and then see which ones live, and if, like, you're fighting them, but if they start fighting you, then you might have a problem. That's right. <laughs> Pretty well put. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I don't know why I had this visual of Republicans and Democrats right now, but anyways, <laughs> um, I'm going to not go there. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the importance of medication adherence because one thing and I know you and Dr. Dr. Fine and I mean it was drilled in me like to take my medicine and in fact when I went back on dialysis before this last kidney there were people who said you know oh you don't need your transplant meds anymore and I'm like I'm still taking them and I, it turned out to be the right thing because I still had a kidney that was kind of puttering out and had I not continue to take those transplant meds, I mean, I might have created more antibodies. But can you give a little scenario of why it's so important and what can happen if you don't take your medications? Right. And again, uh, this is uh, the most critical issue uh, for us today. Um, we do have very good drugs, and we know that they have changed the face of transplantation, but they are... Uh, the cyclosporin and Prograf, we know, can be toxic to the kidney. And for many, many years, uh, the um, approach was to try to reduce the Prograf or cyclosporin to levels as low as possible to keep the kidney going long term. And that you, once people have got their kidney, you need to keep them at a low level because the, they will get cyclosporin toxicity and lose their kidney if you don't do that. There was a very important study that was done about uh, seven years ago called decaf, not like decaf, it's like decaf coffee, but it's, uh, the study acronym stands for defining the causes of allograft failure. And a large study at University of Alabama, Birmingham and uh, University of Minnesota showed that looking at biopsies and then now we had the antibodies, the, what we call the, uh, the HLA antibody Luminex test found that that was a completely wrong conclusion that most of the grafts in the United States that fail, fail because of antibody rejection. And in fact, if you looked at biopsies that had cyclosporin toxicity, those patients had better graft survival than the ones that did not. Just completely opposite of what we thought. But the, the take home message is, is that the reason the toxicity biopsies had better survival was People were in therapeutic range, and they did not get antibody injury. And we know now, both from human models and other uh, human experience and animal models, if you drop below a certain level in your program, for example, uh, a level below six chronically, five to six if you're out long term, uh, you're going to get antibodies. And these antibodies pop up quickly, and then they start injuring the kidney. 
and then you're into a whole other area of where other therapies may be needed. But we do know if you maintain your um, uh, therapeutic range, and there's a number of studies that are, have been published already, and there are others coming, that if you stay in therapeutic range, you do exceptionally well over a, a six to seven, eight year period, and we're nearly 100% graft survival in, oh. in large numbers of patients. So again, lowering the guard is, uh, is, is not good because the immune system uh, has a strong memory uh, and it has no mercy. Uh, it will, even after 20 years, if we lose our suppressive effect on it, we'll come back and take over and injure the kidney. So we always have to, I, I used to tell people it's like the enemy at the gate. We have to keep it out. And the only way we can keep it out is keep the drug, thera- drug levels, specifically drugs like Prograf, in therapeutic range and, and to try to do it every day. Well, well, one of the things, too, and, you, you know, I throw this prom every year for all the teenagers with kidney disease. And unfortunately, I frequently hear of these stories about, you know, um, oh, I didn't take my meds or I forgot or this. And, you know, what's so sad is they could potentially prevent themselves from ever getting a transplant if their antibody profile gets too vicious, I guess I can say. Is that a correct statement? I mean... How do you how do you let them know the importance of this? It's you know I was young and you know I thought I was indestructible, but I had several physicians <laughs> drilling it in me from age like you know a very young like two I started that uh, you know you need to take your medicine. I mean I take my medicine like I brush my teeth. It's like a habit. I'm a professional pill taker. I'm gonna get a, a health course for that and get a you know MBA or something attributed to people who do that. <laughs> but um, it's it is it's it's just very sad. And and how do we we help them? you know, take their meds? I mean, do you have any secrets? Have you learned any trip, tricks over the years? <laughs> I, wish I, say, I wish I could say yes, but, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, I, and I, I understand, especially young people, uh, and, you know, where they may have con- confrontational issues or they don't like authority figures, would see this as being, uh, you know, somebody lording over them and, forcing them to do something they may not want to do, and they may react this way. They may react by not taking their medicines as a rebellious act, but it's a terrible price to pay because, as you said, you know, it may prevent them from ever getting another kidney transplant because they develop the antibodies that block up access uh, to this, uh, to the kidney transplant list and put you at much higher risk for uh, rejection of a second kidney or third kidney without a lot of uh, manipulations as we've, uh, that we do. But certainly it all could be prevented in general uh, by uh, medication adherence. Now, of course, there are problems. The problems with these meds are there side effects. There is neurotoxicity. Some people get shaking of their hand. They can't work. They don't feel good. They may have elevations in their creatinine in the kidney. But there are other meds coming along. And I think in the future, uh, just... In my own, if I could sort of uh, take a moment to, to sort of speculate, I think that we will move more to a, a biologics approach where we will be using, instead of drugs like Prograf, uh, uh, drugs that are uh, or antibodies or blockers of the immune system, uh, 
that will be given as sub-Q or subcutaneous shots uh, once a month or so. Oh, that'd be wonderful. But, and I think this is where we need to go because you're right. This is really a, almost an insurmountable problem because people, if they're getting um, side effects or the, from the drugs and have to take them every day and they have, as you said, a very high pill burden, um, it is it's easy to see why uh, you're not always compliant. And I think that that's, uh, we do. We need as a profession to come forth with better approaches, and but I think that there will be a lot of things coming that will help that uh, uh, to move in a, that direction. Well, I always say, you know, you just got to stay alive till the next healthcare miracle happens, and that's been my whole goal, you know, because uh, back in '79, after or '79 after my second transplant, they. You know, the healthcare community wasn't very optimistic I would ever get another transplant. And I'm like, well, you just got to stay alive for healthcare to improve. You know, a question is what do you think about this artificial kidney? Is that something that's going to be in the future? Do you see it happening? Well, I think there are several things and um, that will happen. I think there will be a multi pronged approach to transplantation. Um, I mean, we, we certainly serve, you know, we have a lot of problems. We don't serve the need very well because of the donor shortage situations and there have been a number of things to, uh, that doctors are trying to do to improve that but it still hasn't gotten there. But I think that you know the artificial kidney will be something for uh, my, you know that will be a, or a wearable type kidney that will help patients and hopefully uh, give them you know daily dialysis which we think would be much better than uh, uh, than you know, intermittent dialysis. So that uh, I think you'd still have the problems with vascular access, infections, and that sort it's of thing. It's all clotting, isn't it? It's all yeah. about the clotting, isn't yeah, it? It is. <laughs> and so those are things. Uh, now for kidneys, though, I think that there are a couple of things that are going to be very interesting. And some of the your listeners may or may not know about this, uh, and they may not may or may not like it. But uh, you know, one of the things that we have been interested in. Or, or, the, or as a society has been what we call xenotransplantation. And this is, uh, was a big effort to do this, was, was put forth in uh, around 2000, uh, but sort of flopped. And this is the idea of taking a kidney from an animal, and basically the animal has been chosen as the pig, and to, which is, has, believe it or not, many similarities with human <laughs> kidneys. And um, and to transplant them and and, and uh, you know where you would have hopefully an acceptable donor uh, uh, type of animal and that uh, that people would be able to be relieved of renal failure. Uh, it was really kiboshed for a long time, and uh, because of in, uh, concerns about infections, uh, bringing in what we call zoonoses into the human. Uh, 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 gene uh, or into human system that might cause infections that we couldn't deal with. But these guys have really done a great job of just sticking with it. And they now have uh, facilities where they grow the pigs in germ-free environments. And uh, and they're man manipulating them genetically so the kidneys look very much like a human kidney. And now they have a, a new technology called CRISPR, which they can take out a gene so if you have an HLA-D6 or something like that or some target, they can remove it. Wow. And uh, and then you have a kidney that doesn't have a target. So it may be possible even to do transplantation without immunosuppression. 
Oh, that would be lovely. Or with very little. So that <laughs> that is sort of moving. And like at University of Alabama in Birmingham, there's a large grant that's been given there to develop this. And, uh, uh, you know, we may see this in the next few years. So that could help alleviate, especially I look at it as, you know, we have many patients, as you know, Lori, here at Cedars, and we get people from all over the country whom really there's no one in the on the planet they could have a negative cross match with. Right. And this may be something for people like that that would be where they could get a kidney and where they don't have dialysis access anymore, that sort of thing. And I think that ultimately there may be growth in the, uh, uh, you know, the stem cell work. We're really eager that, to see that go, but I don't think growing kidneys right now is on the horizon like some of the other therapies the that we different ones. Seen. Well, I have to say there is so much hope. Um, we just got to take care of ourselves and do the best we can to, you know, wait till the next medical miracle happens. And, you know, I mean, just on behalf of patients, Dr. Jordan, I've seen your dedication over the years and your um, willingness. And I always like to use this term because you have the burning the midnight oil attitude. <laughs> and I get so upset when I talk to some doctor oh I work so hard and I do this I never heard you say that it was a privilege <laughs> you. for you to serve people it, it was is. a privilege of you to save I mean it's a gift it's a noble profession to save lives and and um, I, I hope that you could capture maybe one of the companies could, could, that are listening could try to create a drug to to get your attitude and we can give all the doctors the injection <laughs> what do you think well uh, I'm sure a lot of them would not want to <laughs> we'll figure out a way to disguise it in a chocolate candy bar how's no, that that's a, good, that's a good idea no but I really appreciate those kind words and you know I think it is a privilege I've been honored to uh, you know to uh, and uh, really privileged to have the opportunity to work in this area and I feel blessed to have hopefully made a difference uh, for uh, uh, many people in terms of getting kidneys and keeping them. So that's you have. that's all I need. That's all I need. There's there's not even a doubt. You have. I I can picture, you know, a room full of people right now. A picture of people you've helped, and including me. You know, it's been six years, and you know, my kidneys amazing. And it's because of your good work and and your team around you. I'll give a shout out to Dr. Vo. And uh, um, I'm very grateful. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.